Have you ever wondered who is responsible for the songs you hear on the radio? Thousands upon thousands of artists pour their hearts and souls into work that most people will never know even exists. What separates the hits? Every week, I sit down with the songwriters responsible for some of the biggest songs that sweep the world to find out, how did they get there? What was their journey? My name is Gary Young, and this is The Big Break. Orlando Tucker is our guest this week on The Big Break. If you're not familiar with that name, you'll definitely know his production tag under his producer name, Jalil Beats. Jalil was born into music. From the age of three, he was learning about music production from his father and grew up developing his musical skills. After college, Jalil took advantage of the blossoming world of social media and online mixtapes to build a network in his local hip-hop community. This led him to work with the likes of Meek Mill, Rick Ross, Lil Wayne, Jay-Z, and many other rap icons, ultimately netting him a Grammy Award in 2019. On this episode of The Big Break, we sit down with Jalil to learn about how he got to this point in his career and how he continues to impact his hometown. So this is Gary Young with Royalty Exchange, and uh, I have Jalil Beats. Jalil, welcome to the podcast. What's up, man? Glad to be here, man. Yeah, Thank yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we could uh, coordinate our schedules to, to do this, because uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, so you've done a ton of like cultural shifting work, right? And you've helped artists break and, and write their big song. But but today, I want to hear your story and I want to hear it from the beginning. Gotcha. Okay? So where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Lamokin Village pro- Projects in Chester, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, by far the worst projects in Chester. Okay. But, um, you know, I grew up, I'm one of uh, seven I'm the middle okay. child, so I got three older brothers and three little brothers. Um, whole boys, seven whole boys. boys. Yeah. yeah, holy mom, shit! She deserves yeah, your, uh, no more surprise. Saint. But um, I was basically—I mean, I was born into music. My my father was a, a producer. He had a, okay. a local band in Chester, and okay. um, you know, what was it called? I don't even know what it was, what it was called. I, <laughs> But he was doing like local gigs with his band, and it's just it's crazy because um, the bar that he used to play in, I just bought that building. No, you he used didn't. to live that's on awesome. the top of the bar. What? Yeah, that's that is talk it was about the gold circle. room. The gold room. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna rename it the platinum room or what? <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good idea, right? <laughs> See. But, um, yeah, my, my dad uh, always had us, like, um, making music and doing little demos and things like that. And um, I remember, like, the first little demo I cut, I was, like, three. And a song and a, and, a, and a rap went, like, my name is Jaja. I got a mom. I got a dad. And I got five. I got six brothers. And and uh, he had dubbed it on a tape. And uh, he always played play it for me. You know what I mean? I was thinking about putting it on my new project. But... I was oh, like should? just born into it, man. Um, ever since I could remember, I was just you know, like rapping or singing, um, and yeah. just like messing around in my dad's um, home uh, studio in his bedroom, and um, yeah. that was pretty much in my like my start, like making like you know making music and stuff like that. By the time I was ten years old, my dad uh, no, by the time I was ten years old, um, me and my cousin L um, bought this video game called MTV Generator. Okay. And you could like make music on there on a PlayStation. Yeah. All right. And we would like make beats on there and dub them on a tape. And that was our start. You know what I mean? I'm like 10 years old. And um, I always just looked up to my cousin. Um, he's five years older than me. But he, all, okay. he, you know, he always got into, like he just had a passion for music and always looked up to guys like Swiss Beats and, um, just Blaze and Dr. Dre, Timbaland. Now, how did you find out about them though? Like ten, you know, like you know the artist, but, well, you, but know you know what? The producers my brothers too. was like they, they was into uh like music. Like my oldest brother had the illest CD collection ever. Really? So he had stuff from like Master P, um, all the way to Outkast, um, okay, Equimini, 
um, you know, Nas, uh, it was written, Jay-Z, yeah. Volume 2. And um, like my, my favorite producer is Swiss Beats, and I got a crazy story about that. So yeah. I was in the fifth grade, I think, when uh, Volume 2 came out, right? Mm-hmm. And my brother's hooky school, and they went and bought it and came home. And they were reading through the booklet, and they were like going crazy over like Swiss Beats production. And I never really know, I didn't, I didn't know what a producer did, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they used to always just talk about Swiss Beats. That was their favorite producer. So, I mean, by default, it ended up being my favorite producer. And um, just yeah. having that around, just my brothers always listening to music, knowing the producers, um, having a passion for it, and my dad actually making music and being up to date to like what's going on. He used to always listen to like Tupac and Biggie and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was just, uh, just, I was all, I just gravitated to music my whole life. You know what I mean? There, there was no choice for you. You were, you were going to do music. I was going to, yeah, I was born to do music, you know? And, um, I got serious into production when my dad brought home this, um, this, uh, program called FL Studio, Fruity Loops at the time. Fruity Loops. Yeah. 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 So he brought home Fruity Loops and he's like, yo, you know, you can, um, load it up on a computer, you can load it up on a laptop, and you don't have to use a keyboard, or you don't have to use a drum machine or anything like that. And um, he gave me the program, he never used it, he just gave it to me, and me and my cousins um, just started making beats on there. And no way. So you graduated from the PlayStation yeah, to, to, to FL. It was kind of hard in the beginning, I didn't really understand it because I was so young, but then my cousin took me under the wing, and he started to teach me like, a whole bunch of stuff like how to chop samples and stuff like that and at the time this yeah. is like probably early 2000s um you know like the speed up sample sound came back with like just blaze and Kanye West. Mm-hmm. so that's what that's what we sounded like we would chop up samples and stuff like that and yeah. honestly that um kind of helped me um, understand how music placement went, like how to place my snares and what type of snare to place with the melody and my, and how to um, develop my drums and stuff like that and build over the sample. So that was a, a very important thing uh, in just me learning production, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, you know, from there, I, I uh, just got hooked. I would make beats every single day. I mean, I'm in middle school just making, Beats yeah. every day, man, at the football practice. And, you know, I wouldn't even come out the house, man. You were just in the basement making beats. At it. Seriously. At, at it. it. And then, um, now, and then, you know, now, L, so L was a big influence. L, right, at that point. Yeah. yeah, that's your cousin. Yeah, my, yeah. Probably my biggest influence uh, in okay. a lot of things, you know what I mean? He was like a, yeah. he was like a, a mentor and an older brother, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, and, from there, uh, my dad, you know, he heard my music and he was like really impressed and he always like motivated me. Even when I thought my stuff was whack, he was just like, yo, like this is this is the this is the greatest stuff I've ever heard, you know what I mean? Just giving me that motivation. And um I remember one day, uh, it was right before Christmas, and my dad brought me like this old ass uh Tascan uh mixer from like the eighties. And then yeah. he brought me like this old Samson uh, mic, like one of the uh, performance and mics with the uh, you plug the cord to. So he said, you know, you're going to start recording like you can start recording your friends and find some rappers and start putting together mixtapes and stuff like that. And uh, that was my start of uh, just putting songs together. So when I got to high school, you know, I would, uh, you know, I would uh, sell my beats in high school, but then I would get like the best rappers from my high school, and they would come over to the house, and uh, and and we would do mixtapes and stuff like that. And you know, the the, the they the neighbors would call the cops, and my mom would be cussing me out, but she always like she always let me uh, you know, finish what I was doing, finish mixing. Well, that, I mean, that's she knew, huge. She knew herself that you know I was. It kept me off the streets, so. It's a good point. Yeah. So you got your dad telling you you're a genius and encouraging you right? <laughs> and buying you stuff, you know, no like, hey, and then and then you got your mom covering for you mm-hmm. when the noise complaints get too much. Yep, And yeah. I had a, had an incredible uh, supporting cast, whether it was my cousin, whether it was yeah. my brothers uh, keeping me out of trouble, 
uh, my dad motivating me and my mom just, uh, you know, just letting me do what I do to keep me yeah. in the streets, you know? And um, yeah. just from there, I would just, you know, make demos and things like that. And um, by then, nobody really knew who I was. I was, like, huge in my city, though, like, locally. Yeah. Um, but I felt like, you know, um, it wasn't enough. I, I felt like I could get on. I could I could make it in music, but it just wasn't um, enough coming out of yeah. Chester. Chester's like a population yeah. oh, of, like, yeah. a little bit over 30,000, you know what I mean? So I've been I ended Chester, up going yep. um, to college right after uh, high school, like that summer. Okay. I went to um, PIT and Media PA, but I went for okay. uh, I went for C plus plus. So computer, computer, for computer, yeah. for computer science. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it was. I wish I stuck with it, but it was so boring at the time. If I knew what I knew <laughs> now, I would have stuck with it. Seriously. Yeah. But um, you know, at the time I was just like, you know, I had a passion for music. It just. It just wasn't my passion. So I ended up going to AIU in Atlanta in Buckhead for music and film. So okay. this is my... Uh, so this is how you get out of you get out of Pennsylvania. You're going to ATL. Yeah. You're going to like... And this is what? 2005? This is 2007. 2007. Okay. So I went to school for a whole year at, AI, I mean, at PIT in Pennsylvania. And then in 2000, yeah. the end of 2007, going into 2008, I went to... Uh, uh, AIU in Atlanta in Buckhead. So my yeah. so my goal was to get there, you know, finish. Now wait, wh- why there? Because was at it the just time, this, Atlanta was booming. The hip hop scene was crazy. Yeah. I think it was the first year of the uh, BT Hip Hop Awards, and just like Jeezy yeah. was on fire. Then you had dudes like Ti, Shorty Low, everybody was out there. Like it yeah. was crazy. So when I went out there, my goal was to uh, <laughs> my goal was to um. My goal was to get in the studio, get an internship at like Patchwork or something. Finish school, get an internship at Patchwork, and then hope like T.I. or somebody will walk in the studio and then I give them my beats. And that's how I got on. And then it goes. Um, yeah. But, you know, me having, uh, you know, I got a big family. So my mom co-signed my older brothers, um, and I ended up losing financial aid. And I was doing really good. I was doing really good at school, but my mom, could, I could, we couldn't afford it. So that was like one of the like worst times of like my life, and then for my mom too, cause like she couldn't she couldn't do nothing about she it. Felt she felt bad. like yeah. terrible. Yeah. So I ended up it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me though. So I ended up coming home. Uh, I ended up coming home, um, and then I got on my MySpace grind. I know you remember MySpace. <laughs> mm-hmm. so I got on my MySpace grind. I would um you know, put my beats on there and then I would make instrumental mixtapes. So I made Okay. So I made this uh instrumental mixtape called Crack Music One, right? And it's a whole bunch yep. of different like instrumentals and I put it up uh I, I um uploaded it on Datpiff like it was a regular mixtape. Yep. At the time they didn't have no instrumental yep. mixtapes and they didn't know, know what it was. So when I put it on there, you know, um it was like hot the first week, right? It was like the hot mixtape of the week. So the um one of the guys that uh run that piff, KP, he reached out to me. It was like, yo, did you make these beats? I'm like, yeah, I made these beats. He's like, yo. He's like, uh, can I play these for some of the uh like some of the big artists that I'm working with? You know, I'm sponsoring their tapes and stuff like that. So I'm like, cool. So I gave him a couple months to just work the record, like the uh the um the instrumentals, but then at the same time, um, I started like flooding like all the like Philly up and coming artists. And at the time, okay. like, how were you hitting them up? MySpace yeah, because or now, now like now back then I couldn't because MySpace wasn't even really popular like that. But now, like, mm-hmm. it's, I can reach people from outside of Chester without even traveling. So what I would do yeah. was, you know, I would uh. You know, I would just hit them up and send these guys beats and stuff like that. And then after a while, like all these, all like the underground rappers from Philly, like all the big underground rappers, like the Quilly Mills, the Joey Jahaz, the Reed Dallas, Vodkas, all these guys, I would have like mad beats on their mixtapes and stuff like that. So now I'm starting to get known in uh, Philly. And yeah. I, this kid hit me up one day. Um, and he's from like Ridley Township, right outside of Chester. And he was a big fan of this, uh, like, 
um, this group that I was producing for from Chester, because um, he's like close, and yeah. So he reaches out to me. He's like, "Yo, I'm a big fan of your stuff, man. I'm like a huge fan." And he hits me up from Meek Mill's page. So Meek Mill don't even have an Instagram. I mean, I mean, a, a MySpace yeah. yet. But he, this guy, yeah. this kid was like making like all of MySpace pages and building the fan bases up for like all the underground dudes. And then they would like oh. find out, and then they would like get their page from him. And he would like run all our pages. So he's like, I'm thinking yeah, yeah. this is like a from social like media Meek manager. Mill. At the time, Meek Mill was like on fire on um, in the underground. He was like yeah. on fire. He had dropped his uh, mixtape called Flamers One. And, um, yep. you know, I'm, I hit him back and I'm like, yo, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, your mixtape Flamers One. I'm confused, but I'm just, you know, like, yo, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. You know what I mean? You go with it, right? And, yeah. you know, he, he's like, yo, this is uh, this. My name is Hoodie, and I run Meek Mill's page, and blase, blase. So, you know, I, you know, he said, he said, follow me from this page. So I followed his personal page. And then I just thought, like, I got a mixtape out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the artwork from my avatar, and I'm going to give it to him, and I'm going to tell him to put it, my mixtape avatar, I mean, my yeah, the avatar, the, the cover, I'm going to get yeah. them, I'm going to get him to put it on all the underground rappers' avatar. And then put me in the top four of all their pages. And these guys got 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 followers. You know what I mean? And that's how. That's clever. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's, that's how awesome. I kind of, like, built my brand up online. And that's how, like, my my instrumental series got big. You know what I mean? Because people were, like, going yeah. to my page and hearing my beats and then going to that pip and downloading it. And I'll never forget. um what? So at this time, I'm like on fire um, locally. I'm talking about just in the tri-state yeah. area. So I guess Meek Mill yeah. gets his page uh, from the kid Hoodie. So Hoodie hits me up like, yo, um, Meek got the page, so don't hit that page up. So I just hit Meek up again like, yo, Flamer, it's a ridiculous <laughs> mixtape. And then he reaches back out to me and he's like, yo, send me some beats. So I sent him three beats. Um, one was called uh, So Fly. That was the first record we had on the radio. He did all three of them. Another one was called Way Back. And then another one was called Hottest in the City. And that was the name of his next mixtape, Flamers 2, Hottest in the City. Yeah. So at the time, McMill ended up getting like co-signed by T.I. and Grand Hustle. And then in 2000, yeah, it was, it was still 2008. It was the end of 2008 going into 2009. And he got locked up. Yeah. So he did like an eight-month stretch. But he just was reaching out to me. He had got my number and then he would call me like every week just to motivate me and like, yeah, when we get out, we gonna do it. You know, I mean, when I get out, we gonna do it. Yeah. So um, he yeah. got out in 2009 and um, you know, it was over after that. Now what, are you do- now what are you doing while he's in? You make a beat Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I got the radio like, on Smash Locally. I got like, I'm like on the radio like six times a day. Yeah, like with like the local artists because at the time like, the local artists was like underground dudes was really like big on the radio. This was like a transition back then. It wasn't that, you know what I mean? Nowadays you can get some, a couple yeah. dudes that ain't even signed on the radio and have big records. So at the time I had um, yeah. about like six, six uh, records, um, like spanning from maybe the five o'clock mixtape to the eight o'clock mixtape with Cosmic Kev, yeah. Doc B, DJ Doc B yeah. and DJ Cosmic Kev. And he's hearing this, so he's in jail. He's hearing like everything I'm doing. He's hearing yeah, it already. Yeah. So when when he got he got out, you know, we would just go in. He was able to. Um, he was on house arrest, but he was able to. Um, you know, go into the studio. So as long as he was in the studio, yeah. he was good. So we would go in from like twelve to twelve, man, just working on it. I got about maybe like two hundred songs with me now. Yeah, I got probably like. Close Ooh. to like eighty records that that came out with him on my on my beats. Damn. Yeah, so we just worked that like super crazy. hard, and um, I never forget the f- maybe like the first day we went in the studio, we did a song called "Make Him Say," and he, we went straight to the radio after we made the record, and they played it on the radio. Cosmic Care played it on the radio, and that record ended up making a Billboard charts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I remember this. Yeah, it's crazy. Nice. So you guys, you did that just like 
the two of you plus the TI's camp. But it wasn't like there was like a major. He didn't have any money behind him. Anything. He was. Just, it was the cosign was the biggest yeah. thing. It was the biggest opportunity. It was the opportunity that made everything bigger. You know. You know what I mean. And yeah. um, you know, like you know, me after that, it, he was the hottest. He might be the hottest underground rapper of all time from Philly. Period. To this day. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. He had the streets no, I, I on can't, fire. He had the clubs on fire. He had the radio on fire. You know what I mean? Stuff that, I mean, the yeah. stuff that we did, probably never going to even see that again. It was ridiculous. No. It's like a special time Yeah, place, we had about right? like two, three songs in regular rotation. <laughs> Locally with no deal or anything. So you're like 20, 22 I'm, maybe? I think tw- or 20, 21. 20. Oh, no, I was 20. Yeah, I was 19, 20. Yeah. 20? Yeah. So, so now, how does how does your life shift? Yeah. Like, what? Like, you're you're still working all the time, but like, what is different? What's yeah, well, when I was 19, like my life changed. Like, I had my own crib, I had my own car. I was making like good money selling beats and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it was like you know I was basically yeah. on. You know what I'm saying? At 19, so mm. my life had yeah. changed. I got I got to um, you know take care of my mom and help my mom out and stuff like that. So. And then, like, it was just so crazy because, like, the way we were moving, like, people thought we were, like, super rich, man. It was crazy. But my life changed drastically, man. I I went from just being nobody paying me no mind to, like, just people wanting me to come through for, like, um, club appearances and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it was just crazy. It was really crazy. That is – that's nuts. So then then now you're, like – in your head, right? You, you have to be thinking like, okay, I'm getting, I'm breaking out of, of like the Philadelphia area, right? Right. And then you're like, but I, I have to imagine you're like, how do I? I'm gonna tie these loose ends real quick for you. Yeah. So yeah. check this out. Yeah. So, so Meek was in a, um, like he was on fire, but it wasn't really any like labels hollering at him yet. They was just trying to see what's going, going to happen with him. Yeah. But at the same time, this guy KP was like getting me like placements with like Lil Wayne and like Soldier Boy. And then my big break came from um, Chris Brown's Fan of a Fan with Tiger. Ah, yo. And this was 2000. We was working on it 2009, 2010. Yep. And so I was getting like, like label calls and stuff like that. And then I ended up being in a bin war. But Meek was still on fire, you know what I'm saying? And this was all from like me giving my instrumentals to this dude KP and from same my dude. mixtapes that I did on that piff. And no this, way! Wow! Everything came so fast; it was ridiculous, man. Like I, I got with Meek. Well, I just I started like really like getting on my grind on the internet in 2009, and then by 2011 I had a, a deal. Man. Yeah. Is, so, so what was that like? So how are you thinking about it as all these label guys are just bidding, th- trying to throw money at you? How yeah, how so, are you thinking about so it? Let, let me let me let me go on. Let me go a little bit behind. So okay. So Meek Mill, you know, he was on fire. Rick Ross was at his peak mm-hmm. at the time. He had just dropped. Um, I wouldn't say his peak, but he was just he had the streets on fire. He did BMF and he did um, MC Hammer. You know what I mean? Changed the game, honestly. So good. And, uh, yeah. and um, so we ended up, Meek Mill ended up opening enough for Rick Ross um, at the House of Blues in Atlantic City. I was his hype man. And, love uh, it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> so he met him and, you know, I got, and Ross got to watch him perform. And, and, and he seen, like, he seen how the crowd reacted to him. And then maybe, like, a couple months later, he came to Philly uh, on a promo run, um, and he he went to Cosmic Kev, and he you know he just asked Philly who's the hottest dude. He had just signed Wale. He was building up MMG, and yeah. everybody was like, "Yo, Meek Mill," and Cosmic Kev was like, "Yo, you gotta sign this kid, Meek Mill." Yeah. So they met. We had this record out called Rose Red that was like Funk Flex was going crazy on it. Yeah. Like the yeah. whole track day was going crazy on it, and. Meek Mill ended up getting T.I. on a remix and Vado, this kid named Vado that uh, Cameron had signed at the time. He was okay. like hottest fish, gre- fish grease in New York. And 
Meek Mill uh, got them two on there, and he's like, yo, you know, he sent it to Ross. Ross did it super fast and sent it back. And Meek was like, wow, like he's really, like, fooling with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, Rose Red Remix was, like, really doing his thing and ended up charting on Billboard. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I, we, so I made this beat, right, for Jeezy, right? I was working on some stuff for Jeezy. So I made this beat and in my apartment and um, I ended up bringing it to the studio and I had one beat and I was hoping that Meek picked pick past it because, you know, I never wanted to come to the studio and be empty handed for Meek Mill. You know what I mean? Because he, he, yeah. most of the time he's going to record my stuff. But this time I was just like hoping that he was just going to be like, you know, he, he did bring one, but I don't really like it. And the beat was I'm a boss. <laughs> Yeah, so he was like, yo, pull this up. And I was like pissed because Jeezy wanted to, you know what I mean? Jeezy wanted to. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, I mean, I'm happy that he picked it because, you know, yeah. that song changed my life. You know what I mean? Yes, it did. And uh, so he um, he ended up uh, doing the record. And I'm like, yo, you got to get Rick Ross on this joint. You know what I mean? So he's texting Ross. He sends it to Ross. Meek like, yo, if Ross do this one, I'm just going to sign with him. You know what I mean? Because at the yep. time, he was just like, you know, he was loyal to T.I., but T.I. ended up getting um, locked up again out in L.A. Um, at the BET Awards weekend. And, um, yeah. you know, they would both get locked up. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And they both missed each other. So they both missed each other, each other's wave. So, you know, um, by the good graces of uh, T.I., T.I. gave him the good graces. to like, yo, go do your thing. So Meek ended up signing with Rick Ross. And, That's uh, big at T.I., man. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, that was that was yeah, that was so cool. That was that was some real stuff. And T I is a good dude, man. So I mean I didn't yeah. expect anything less from T I. You know what I mean? He's not even known for the, being that type of guy locking you in. No. Whatever. But um I'm a boss came out and it was over after that, man. It was a rat. It was a rat. So, yep. you know, it's about five or six labels hollering at me. And, you know, we just taking all the meetings, me and my manager, uh, dude. And uh, my manager is just my boy. You know, I just met him through Meek Mill. He, he used to always travel. He yeah. used to always be around. So I was, we just got tight. You know what I mean? Yeah, And what happened was um, this kid named Malik reached out to me on Twitter. And he's like, yo, uh, I'm from Rock Nation. I in- I'm an intern at Rock Nation. Uh, you know, they want to sign you, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking I'm just trolling on my page. I'm yeah. just ignoring him. I'm ignoring him for like a whole month. And Man, then, that must have made him even thirstier. Then, I don't know why I followed him. He, he just was so like determined. I followed him and then he um he DM'd me right away, like, yo, um, Tata wants to meet you. And I kinda like shrugged it off and I didn't get back to him till like the next day, like the next night. And he was like, kept yeah. hitting me up, like, yo, Tata, I want to highlight you, man. Just, I'll give you the address and the number. Just come up and just, you know. So I, I yeah. so I came up to the, um, to the office, and you know, um, they had this A and R there. I'm not even gonna put him on blast, but I guess he didn't know yeah. what was going on. So when I came there, he was like, uh, yo, just play me some beats. So I played some beats, and he's. He's talking to this other guy and I ain't paying no attention. He's like, all right, cool. You know, uh, you know what I mean? Just drop this. Just give me the folder. Give me the thumb drive. And, you know, I'll chop him or whatever. Right? I'll, I'll hit you back. I'm thinking yeah. like, yo, I'm not coming back out here. I'm not even talking to this dude no more. Yeah. So what happened was I was ignoring the kid for like a week. He's like, yo, man, the boy, met, the dude messed up. Ah, you know what I mean? He wasn't set up. We, You know, they, they filled him in or whatever. And he wasn't supposed to... Uh, Take that set. I mean, take the um, meeting with you. So what he did was he gave he gave uh, Jay's friend Emery my number, right? Okay. So Emery called me and I answered. He's like, "Yo, this is Emery Jones. You know, like, uh, you know, Jay want to sign you. I'm I'm at dinner with Jay. You know, what I mean, I'm a boss. Is his favorite song. You know, what I mean, Jay loves Meek Mill. He yeah. loves Meek oh, Mill. Yeah, yeah. So this was his favorite song at the time, and. I'm, now I'm like, okay, all right, this is crazy. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I did go to the office, and maybe, maybe something is there. So they had me, yeah. they had me and um, my manager come back up, and this time I met with Tata. 
And I played him like two beats and he was like, yo, you need to sign with us. You need to be running with us. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, uh, you know, give me the, the, you know, get the paperwork together so my lawyer can take care of it. You know what I'm saying? So we got the paperwork and the deal was, a, it was an amazing deal. You know what I mean? I'm on my third deal over there right now. Yeah, That's a beautiful I'm thing. Done and I'm about to do the, well, we'll get into that. But, uh, yep. But um, you know, I ended up signing. With, I ended up going with Rock Nation, and I never forget. Uh, um, my wife was pregnant with um, my my second daughter, and uh, I never forget when I signed the deal. They had Jay Z in the, in his office waiting, so I got to meet Jay, and Jay was just like, "Yo, it's on," and you know what I mean. You about to kill a game. And then when he came out, he seen my wife was pregnant, and he was like rubbing her belly, like, "Yo, this couldn't have had a better time." <laughs> it was so surreal, man. It was amazing. It was like, damn. Now, how old are you at this point? You're like 22. Yeah, right? like 22. Oh my. Yeah. And Jay Z's rubbing the belly. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it was really crazy, man. All right, let's take a quick break so we can tell you about something very cool. A few weeks ago at Royalty Exchange, we launched a new tool called Know Your Worth. Know Your Worth is a free app for songwriters, producers, and artists that allows you to get an advance in 90 seconds on your back catalog. We have paid out more than $1 million in advances since we launched this tool. So if you want to check it out, go to worth.royaltyexchange.com. That's worth.royaltyexchange.com. It's completely free. You can find out how much you can get in an advance in a minute and a half. So then, then we had the toast, and he was like, "Yo, don't let this be your last last toast." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it's good advice. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. So, so then, how did so now for the first time, right? I mean, you've been making music since you were three. You know, if we go all the way yeah, back, no, you, technically, I have. Like, yeah. Nineteen years in, you get signed by Rock Nation, and you're no longer like you're not a lone wolf in 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 a basement in Chester, nope. just sending beats out. So then, what like? If if you had to tell yourself or a young songwriter in a similar situation, producer, right, what to do as soon as you get signed, what did you do? What I did like was to um, I took care of my business at first. You know what I mean? I got me a new spot. Um, I actually got a townhome. <laughs> I was in an okay. apartment, and then, you know, I had, uh, I had two daughters. So I got a townhome in a, in a great neighborhood. Great, um, I knew the school district was great. You know what I mean? Um, I got a new car. I got. I never forget. I got a Dodge Challenger. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> those are like brand new at that point yeah, too. Yeah, those yeah. Are, those are hot. So that was like that was that was the truth for me. Um, and then I just invested in myself, man. I, I uh, you know, I just uh got new equipment and just went straight to work. Okay. You know what I mean? And. That yeah. summer, oh man, I went crazy. It wasn't a mixtape. I wasn't on. Like, yeah, like you were ubiquitous. You were everywhere. Yeah, I went crazy. Yeah. I, I was like, you know, this is my time to really have my run. You know what I mean? Because as a producer, you have your mm-hmm. run, and then you may have a run for maybe two years or three years, and then you just coast and you try to stay around. You try to, you know, have some influential records out. You know what I'm saying? And that was my whole thing, just mm-hmm. pacing myself and. Yeah. And trying to stay around, you know what I mean. But at that time, yeah. at that point in time, I was going crazy, just going crazy. I never forget. Um, yeah. Right after that, we was working on DC, uh, DC two, Dream Chasers two. Mm-hmm. We did Amen with yeah. uh, Drake. We did Burn and all that. So, and just at that time, we was just going crazy, man. We was going crazy, and then like it was really important for me to like stamp myself in the game, in the history books with just my sound. You know what I mean? And that was a important thing. Like I knew, like it was crazy because thinking back, like I already knew the opportunity was like you know I had to do it now. You know what I mean? It's either now or never. So I just took it and ran with it, man. 
<laughs> That's what you gotta do. Yeah. Yep, yep. So now, one thing I was when I was getting ready for this, I was reading, uh, I was reading some stuff on you, and one of the things that um, you were talking about, and I think, I think it'd be really good for the listeners out there. You sh- you made a shift at some point in your career from you know having a lot of sample heavy mm-hmm. stuff to doing all your own yep, stuff. Because right. And I'm going to explain that. That was Amen. I could have made a million dollars off of Amen. But Mm -hmm. the sample, they took the, he put the record out before the sample got cleared. You know what I mean? So when it was time to come around with the sample, they took like 99% of the record. Yeah. It was something crazy. Dude, that is It was 90 something percent. And, you know, I made good. I made six figures off of it. But I I was like, I'm never going to ever do that again. And I haven't since. Yeah. Yeah. Not on no singles. <laughs> maybe no. No. Records, maybe but that yeah. was like the biggest. Like, oh man, that was like, oh, it was disappointing. Cause I already knew how. Yeah. Like the song peaked at like number three on the rap charts, and it was uh mm-hmm. on the Hot 100. It was like climbing on the Hot 100, and it was Drake on it. So you know, we thought like, we gonna yeah. cash out on this record. You know what I mean? And yep. that happened, and I learned a big lesson. Like you know. Created from scratch, cause is 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 it's a difference. Cause like when I did Hot Boy, Hot Boy, you know, I, it was a blessing because it was all the way unsampled, no samples at all. Yes, hundred yep, percent. My you. first number one record, right. so you know. Yeah, but man, that first one had to be painful though. Yeah. I mean, what were you thinking when you got when you heard, "Hey, this is how much we're taking." If you I want it. Sick. I mean, that's got to be I nice. was sick. Man, I'll never forget. Uh, I think me and L found out at the same time, me and my cousin L. We were sick, man. <laughs> but um, that's one thing we learned about things like that. You learn from it. You know what I mean? And you, you learn to you learn to, to, to never do it again. You know what I mean? Especially, like, <laughs> even in the beginning, like, with contracts, doing, like, contracts with artists, doing, um, um, split sheets and things like that like you learn mm-hmm. it's they is you know the yep. uh paperwork is tricky the language in that paperwork is tricky yep. so it was a good thing because I, we got to learn from it like all the mistakes and that was the best thing because like we got to really understand about the publishing side and just how to do business in this industry you know what i'm saying because it's like yeah. it's an emotional industry you know what I mean? Like when we yeah. sampled from them, those guys, they were emotionally attached to that record. So you know, they like uh, if they're gonna do this with the song, we're gonna get paid off of it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And man, that's like releasing it before that sample was cleared. Man, that's that's brutal. That's brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, what what other lessons would you like? Have you learned about the business? That that maybe surprised you, or that maybe a lot of people don't know that should know. So what I what I learned is never do business with your emotions. Business business is business. You know, a lot of um people, you know, even with like your friends and things like that, a lot of people get attached to that person and think that you know, a lot of people are going to be lenient with you because of your relationship with them or. Just because they greet you and be nice to you don't mean that it's not just business. You know what I mean? Mm. Be mindful of that. And on top of that, get a good lawyer. <laughs> get a lawyer to look over everything seriously because, yeah. like I said, the language is tricky. And a lot of these guys in the music industry sign their life away or just do a lot of dumb things by not even reading the paperwork or doing business on a handshake and things like that. So put your emotions to the side and take your business seriously. Yeah. yeah Especially like sense. rappers. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys get a lot of money on the road nowadays, so they don't even care about their contracts and how they're getting like raped by these labels and stuff like that. So yeah. and then producers are even worse. I, I kind of feel sorry for producers nowadays. Like I came in um, and built my catalog up and I got to survive. Um, actually, I came in a terrible time because streaming wasn't as big yet. And then yeah. it was like producers, there we were in limbo because of like mixtapes. People weren't even dropping yeah. albums like that. You might have like seven major albums that year. 
or five major yeah. albums. Everybody was dropping mixtapes and touring on the mixtapes. So as a producer, it was just like rough, but I was able to just, um, I was just smart enough to know that, you know, whatever money I get from selling these beats and stuff like that, put it away, take care of my, bid, my, my bills and my kids, and then try to just survive this. And I survived it and I got, I built a very big catalog up and I made it to the streaming era. I made That's it to the game. streaming you era. Stay the money started really pouring in for me. Yeah. And yeah. I've been through so much. I went and took my money and invested in like real estate and stuff like that and like tech yeah. and stuff like that. But it was yeah. the stuff that I went through with just dealing with the labels, dealing with um, bad split sheets and stuff like that and not knowing uh about certain things and then you get burned man you get burned bad yep yep if you if you're sitting at a table and you don't know then you're getting screwed but i will say this about me like one thing i did know was my worth that i i knew that i had to i i had to own 50 percent of my records okay and you had to negotiate to get it because i knew that this was this was my stream of revenue like rappers didn't really care about it you know what i'm saying but I, I I wanted to, I had to make sure my records was uh, um, signed up with Sound Exchange and ASCAP and you know and um because that's how I survived you know what I mean, and we were like, yeah. you know taking advances from ASCAP, um and you know we was just trying to you know weather the storm me and my cousin L because my cousin L um he did administration for my publishing so he yeah. I was smart enough to let him you know learn the game. And register register my songs and make sure I did get paid. You know what I mean? Because I'm a young dude and I'm like seeing a lot of these dudes with bigger placements than me. And I'm like, these guys are. I'm finding out these guys are like starving. And I'm I'm doing alright. You know what I mean? I'm able to yeah. take care of my family and you know do these type of things. And I'm just you know off. Of, I'm a boss and a couple of other records at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But by the time um Hot Boy came about, it was already over. Like we we yeah. had it together. Yeah. That's huge. So now, what kind of in, so so you you mentioned you're doing some real estate investing, right? Yeah. And you've been doing that for a while. So like not even a while. You, so I've been um. So like I said, I'm from Chester, PA, and it's like yeah. Detroit. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like uh, a desert. I mean, this is a a place where, um, where the politicians kind of made big deals with certain companies. They got rich, and then they got they left. You know what I mean? They got voted out or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt like the only way I could change my city um, is to reinvest in my city and build, you know, create jobs and things like that. So this this stems from when I first signed my deal with Rock Nation, um, just taking the money that I have and doing like toy drives and like turkey drives and back to school giveaways. And then every year as I made more money, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, I just felt like maybe like two, two years ago, I was like, yo, how can I take this a step further to help my city out? Cause my city supports me so much and they behind me so much. They gave me the key to the city last year and all day. So, so I, I just, you know, I wanted to do, um, I wanted to do a nightclub okay. at first, but then I'm thinking like, you know, this is a like a, I mean, it's a lot of crime in Chester, so I'm like, it, it, I don't think this is gonna work, right? So I uh, went back to the drawing board with my team, and we decided to do a sneaker store. So what I did was um, franchise with a uh, sneaker villa and DTLR. It's like Foot Locker out here. Okay. And yep, yep. this is the first signature. This was the first signature store. I, I think this is the only signature store that they have. So not only did I franchise, but I partnered up with the company um, in certain aspects. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. created. Everybody that works there is um, from Chester. Okay. Um, and I had my niece there before she went to college. She worked there. And... um. What I started doing with my, my, my beat money was just buying block. I bought a whole block of commercial properties. Now, so I own like two yeah. blocks on each side. Uh, one was um, my wife's boutique. She, she had a, a clothing boutique that did really well, but then I moved her here closer to Westchester. 
Um, and then, you know, I have luxury apartments um, in one building. Um, and then I have, uh, I got a, um, I have a salad works coming and a Zach coming. Ooh. I have a diner. Um, the sneaker store is the number one sneaker store in the region. Yeah, so. I took the money and started um, investing in commercial uh, real estate and residential. I just did a deal um, with the city for 340 residential properties. Yeah, it's crazy. Whoa. Yeah, if you get a chance, go on my Instagram. I got like an article. Um, okay. Invest Philly yeah. Magazine. Um, that is awesome. About it. So, you know, just taking it and, um, you know, just treating everything like a business, even music, you know? Yeah, like, I watched to. Jay. I watched Jay close and just watched his moves and how he took Rock of uh, he took Rockefeller and sold it, and you know, yeah. and, and and then took Rockaware and then sold it, and now this guy's a billionaire. You know what I mean? Built the company up and then sold it, and that's how I look at everything now. Yeah, now nah, I mean it makes makes sense, man. And he's entitled now too. I mean he hasn't sold title yeah. yet, but. That'll be his oh, he's second. He's gonna sell billion. that for a billion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or he might just hold on to it, and you know. But um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm looking at. Um, just building it up. Uh, I just bought this com- uh, company called Avion Mixers. Yeah. Ooh. So I bought okay. the company, and it's in Mad Studios. Like I seen a picture with Meek Mill in the studio in New York, and it it was the uh, the mixer was in there. No, the preamp was in there. So um. We bought that for uh, about five million dollars. Me and my uh, partner, dude. So that's that's yeah. coming next. Um, and then we have, um, you know, we got the music label, Tandem Music Group. We signed this kid uh, named Jocelyn. She was big on YouTube. She got like almost a million followers. So mm-hmm. I'm working on her right now. And I have, uh, yeah, I just got the real estate stuff going, man. You got a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then my project too. I got my project coming out uh, through yeah. Rock Nation. Hopefully, okay. I got two uh, offers in. So hopefully, it's through Rock Nation. But the yeah. first thing would be it's gonna be a song uh, with uh, Meek Mill and Amigos. Ooh. Yeah. And when's then, that gonna drop? You think? Before the summer's out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So this gonna be a six-song EP, but they might turn it into an album depending on how the singles go. Okay. I mean, would you think Meek Mill and Amigos on a on a single? It's gonna it's gonna kill it. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So now, so if I could sum up the things that I've learned from you in the last hour, right? Number one, and you tell me if I'm wrong here. Number one, be prolific. Absolutely. Number two, right? When you get your foot in the door, start sprinting. Yes. Because you got you got a few years, and then <laughs> you, you gotta got be everywhere. Yeah, you got that that you got that space. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got that little window. And, and you, you gotta, gotta blow it up. You gotta pull it up and then you gotta get in there and then you know, you gotta stay in there. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And then after you do that, then take some of the money you make from music, right? And put it into other businesses. And invest and treat in music like a business. You gotta treat you know? music like a business and it's like this is how I look at it. Um even like with your royalties, right? You're not yeah. always be the hottest producer in the game. I mean, you look at you look at Swiss, you look at all the great Dr. Dre, Pharrell, all these guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like they at a time they got downtime where they might want to take a break and they don't even want to do music and stuff like that, or they just want to take a break from just oversaturating the game. You want to take these breaks. I understand, like, artists can make, do an album and disappear for three years and, you know, come back, right? But producers, you got to stay hot forever, right? And that's the one thing I don't like about it because, like, I never looked at myself as a producer that needs to be on the radio 24-7. I make music just like the artists make music. I have to be inspired, you know? So yeah, where I was trying to get at is, you're not going to be hot forever. So take that money and invest it into something, whether it's a studio, whether it's, you know, a, a website or whatever, selling your beats or whatever. 
selling merch. Invest your money because if you ain't investing it, you're just spending your money. And that's the yep. most important. That's in any business. If you're not yeah. investing your money, you're spending it. If you're not making it back or just making it constantly, you're spending it. You ain't got no choice. Yep. You got to pay bills and survive out here. So that's yeah. my biggest like Absolutely, thing. Absolutely, man. That's my biggest message. You know, you know, make music and um, make your mark in this game, but also you'll be able to stay around if you can continue to make money and stay in a good space mentally. Because a lot of these dudes be stressed out because they're trying to figure out what's the, when, their, when their next meal going to be and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, these are like, I'm talking about producers that made, sold millions of records. and Yeah. And it's just you gotta you gotta figure out how to stay in the game. Got it. And you stay in the game. You gotta continue. Right. Like this year, I was I was blessed enough to win my first Grammy with uh, Anderson Pack bubbling, and yeah, reggae. That song was so good. Almost, oh, it's yeah. almost gold. So you know. Yeah. I just want to keep doing this every other year or something. Just pop out, and just, you know, <laughs> make my mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. stay around because I love music. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a uh, competition. It's just a passion of mine. I love music. I just want to stay around, and make good good music, and stay in my lane. That's all I want yeah. to do. There you go, man. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. So, man, I really appreciate you taking the time today and sharing your story. No doubt, appreciate having me, man. Thanks for joining us to chat with Jalil. To keep up with him, be sure to check out his Twitter and Instagram pages linked in the show notes. Join us every Tuesday morning for a new episode of The Big Break. You can subscribe to get that right in your podcast feed. And if you know someone who needs some inspiration or you think needs to hear Jalil's story, be sure to share this episode with them. Thanks, and we'll see you next Tuesday.